Hello there. This is the Crunchy Christian Podcast, a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network. I am a master herbalist, aromatherapist, author, speaker, blogger, and veteran homeschooling mama of four. You can learn more about how I can equip you to pursue God's best naturally at my website, julienaturally.com. And now, today's show. Hey, everybody, it's Julie on Crunchy Christian Podcast. And today we're going to talk about lemon balm. So, we are continuing our herb garden series. And today we have some really fun things to talk about with lemon balm. So, we're going to have a lot of fun with that. Lemon balm is known as Melissa officinalis. You might think Melissa, that's kind of an interesting, you know, weird way to think about a plant, but it is called Melissa. And it appears in ancient texts as far back as 2000 years. Now, it's strongly associated with bees and It is sometimes called bee balm, and we're going to find out some really fun facts about the association between lemon balm and bees. There are some really fascinating things about this plant that way. So it it is definitely a balm for bees because bees cannot seem to resist the smell of lemon balm. And later in the podcast, you'll learn why that is. So the Greeks, I don't know, maybe they saw this association, uh, but they have incorporated bees and uh, Melissa into their mythology back in the day. Uh, So they, they got some of their mythology around this. And they place lemon balm in Ephesus. And if you'll remember from Bible history, you know, the book of Ephesians um, that uh, Paul wrote, Ephesus uh, was originally part of Greece. And of course, it became part of the Roman Empire. And it was located in what is now known as Turkey. So the ancient Greek texts talk about Melissa as the nymph that found the baby Zeus and found honey and fed the honey to the baby Zeus, who then, of course, grew up and the Greeks believed that he was the father of all of the gods. But even predating Zeus was... uh, the great goddess or mother nature or whatever you want to refer to her as. But um, she was surrounded by the Melissae, who were these nymphs. And the Melissae were said to be sometimes seen as bees. And they also believed that these Melissae were righteous the righteous, righteous people who had died and become 
the Melisse, and only the righteous could become Melisse and um, attend the great goddess uh, as little worker bees. And then after a while, they could return to heaven. So interesting mythology around that. And the genus name Melissa, as I said, is the Greek word for honeybee. So that's where the association comes from. And uh, the Greeks, though, they had a different name. They called Melissa and bees, uh, they called them apiostrum or apius. And that's what they called lemon balm. But it's more well known by Melissa, Melissa officinalis. So, but it wasn't just associated with their mythology. They did use lemon balm medicinally too. The uh, first century Greek doctor, Dioscorides, he talked about lemon balm as treating gout, toothaches, and stings and bites from venomous creatures. And they would also use it to flavor wine and beer and uh, for fevers and for wounds and to stop bleeding. So it's interesting that they would use it for flavoring because lemon balm does taste a little bit like lemon and it does have a lemony scent. Uh, and of course, that reputation carried on into the Middle Ages. In the ninth century, Charlemagne, he had some lemon balm and he liked it so much that he said that it should be grown in all of the monastic gardens and included in their apothecaries. So when the monks were growing the lemon balm, you know, they learned of the benefits. Of course, they kept a lot of the old Greek texts and stuff too. So they probably came across the writings of Dioscorides. And so they learned the benefits and they included it in their treatments and formulas for insomnia, toothache, again, uh, menstrual issues, digestive upsets and other digestive issues, headaches, poor appetite, fever, and anxiety. So they used it for a lot of those same kinds of things and added a few twists of their own. And they liked it a lot. They liked it so much, the smell so much, that they would strew it on the floor of the churches to kind of perfume the churches and keep them smelling nice. And it starts to get kind of fun here. The, in 1611, the Carmelite nuns in France came up with Carmelite water. Now, remember, in the Middle Ages, people didn't really bathe all that much. They thought that it would uh, excite sinful thoughts to see your own body naked. I guess they didn't read some of the Old Testament texts where God tells people to bathe. Um, <laughs> kind of interesting uh, that they they wouldn't put that together. But, um, so, but they didn't bathe. And so they used a lot of perfumes and things to cover up the smell. And um, and that's kind of where the perfume industry got started was around that time. 
So the Carmelite nuns, they came up with uh, Carmelite water, and it was used as a perfume, and it included lemon balm. It wasn't just used as a perfume, but that was one of the original uses. And the Carmelite water included lemon balm, lemon peel, nutmeg, and angelica root, and it was infused in alcohol. And over the years, it did come to include some other things. But as it uh, it came to include some other herbs and, uh, and became a little bit their secret formula, their standard secret formula, it, it became a patented formula and it was closely guarded uh, <laughs> as a secret so that uh, only the nuns could dispense it. And it came to be used for other things such as headaches and as a general body tonic, sort of a cure-all. And in fact, it was known as a bit of a cure-all and an elixir for life, as some would call it. And it was so desired and as a perfume and as a general life tonic, even the kings and emperors would seek it out and come out and, and get some of this Carmelite water. So throughout the Middle Ages and Renaissance, people just praised the benefits of lemon balm. It was kind of like this cure-all in some, in some ways. They used it in elixirs, in liquors, ointments, baths. They would cook with it too sometimes. They would even use it as a furniture polish and air freshener. Remember I said they like to strew it on the floors of the churches. So sometimes they would even kind of infuse it to use it to uh, polish their furniture. They, it even makes its appearance in Shakespearean plays, believe it or not. Uh, it's referenced as an anointing herb for kings and as an herb for helping with grief. So, of course, when people came over from Europe to North America, they brought lemon balm with them. Uh, they, it seems to be good for everything, right? So, of course, they would bring it with them. And it is fairly easy to grow. So, it would have been quite uh, adaptable to North America and since it grew in a lot of places in Europe. Some of the benefits of lemon balm, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the chemicals that are in there and nutrition and things like that. So the leaves are often crushed by beekeepers to release the smell and draw the worker bees to a newly constructed hive so that of course, the bees would populate the new hive and create honey so that they could sell the honey. Lemon balm has many of the same chemicals that are found in bee pheromones. So you can imagine. So the plant has bee pheromones such as neurolic acid. Uh, it has some other things in there that are also included in bees' nasonov gland, which we'll get to in a minute here. 
The actions of bee balm are nerving, sedative, a mild antidepressant, mild antispasmodic, carminative, diaphoretic, antiviral, and antioxidant. So he has a lot of actions in the body that have been noted over the years. Not just the activities we talked about, most of them for um, relaxation, but even the things having to do with bee stings and scorpion bites and menstrual issues, toothaches, all of that uh, can be, it's all included there. Some of the chemicals that it includes are flavonoids, tannins, rosmarinic acid, ferulic acid, caffeic acid, methyl carnosoate, hydroxycinamic acid, and several phenols and aldehydes, which you see mostly in the essential oil. So those include citral and geraniol. And interestingly, geraniol and citral are the two components that are not only in the essential oil of lemon balm, but remember I mentioned the nasonov gland of the bee? Well, guess what? <laughs> those, those chemicals also appear in the bee in, in the bee's nasonov gland. So isn't God wonderful? <laughs> you know, it, they're in the bee and they're in the plant. So it's it's really amazing how it just matches up and um, how God puts these in both places and and how we can discover that just through observation that that the bees just love this plant and we can use that to our advantage and then just to find out that wow you know with modern science we can see that well this is why this is why that happens so it also includes vitamin C and it also includes thiamine. So it makes a healthy food additive to cooking and jams and jellies and refreshing summer drinks and adds that mildly lemony taste. Of course, it's not going to be just like the lemon, the citrus lemon, but it does have a lemony taste. And some people even candy the leaves. So you have like this lemony candy leaf that you can decorate cakes and things, cakes and cookies, things with like that with that. So guess what? It is part of the mint family, which wouldn't really be that surprising. All of the, a lot of the other members of the mint family are pretty aromatic as well. And they all look a little bit, they all look similar. They all look very similar. The flowers are a little bit different. You know, the leaves obviously smell different. And uh, so you could do, you can tell them apart, but sometimes people do mistake one plant for another because they're all in the same family and they do have a lot of similar looks. So it's a, it's a perennial and like other members of the mint family, it can grow up to about three feet tall depending on the soil conditions. It does have square stems, like the other members of the family, and it has uh, oval or heart-shaped serrated leaves that are deeply veined. It has small flowers that are pale yellow, white, or pink, and 
uh, it does grow best in cooler climates. It doesn't like the heat. It will tolerate weather down to minus 20 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's pretty cold hardy. And um, it overwinters just fine. It grows best in rich, well-drained soil, but it will grow in almost any kind of soil as long as it's not too wet. It does prefer it to be drier. It might be because of the similar soil conditions uh, and because it doesn't grow super huge, it might be good to plant it with thyme and lavender. And other nice companions for it might work well with uh, cabbage, the cabbage family, your broccolis and broccolis and cabbages and uh, Brussels sprouts and things like that because um, lemon balm helps to deter the insects that like to feed on the cabbage plants. So, you know, if you plant a row in between or kind of around, it can help to keep those plants clear of those pests. Uh, you could also plant it near other plants and trees that rely on bees for pollination, like fruit trees, because of course it attracts bees and then it will help with the pollination of those plants. But like other members of the mint family, you have to kind of be careful with this plant because it can become invasive. As it, you know, it's really easy to grow and it spreads. So you have to be managing it to keep it under wraps there. So as I mentioned, this herb is used in a lot of different ways because it has some culinary uses and medicinal uses. Um, and it's an essential oil. Personally, I don't really care for the smell of this oil, but because uh, it, the oil doesn't always smell really lemony. The, sometimes it can smell a little bit like fresh mown grass, in my opinion, but it may be just an acquired thing. But uh, so it's not one that you burn in your house necessarily. It's not like one of those, but it is good for, for using in a combination with other things um, because it is pretty mild and can be combined with other things, um, putting capsules to be taken internally and uh, put added to teas and things like that. And most of the time it's used in teas and tinctures and syrups combined with other uh, nervine type herbs uh, for sleeping and for viral uses. You do use the whole plant, it, not really the roots, but everything above ground you can use. Uh, European studies do show that it is effective in shortening the healing time for cold sores and shingles outbreaks. As it is a very gentle, mild herb, both the essential oil and the herb itself. Other studies have shown that it's useful and beneficial for stress relief, for reducing anxiety, for improving cognitive function, although, you know, it's kind of interesting, it has the kind of a sedating effect, but it can also help improve cognitive function. So it depends how it's used and what it's combined with. 
Uh, it can help with sleep, pain relief for menstrual cramps, headache, and possibly for toothache, although the, uh, the uses historically do include that kind of use. So sometimes just because modern research maybe isn't conclusive doesn't mean that it negates centuries of use. Um, so just keep that in mind. And remember, you know, this is an educational show. So just bear that in mind. And uh, this herb, as I mentioned, it, it kids can ingest it. And it has actually been researched for use in colic with babies. Uh, so what they did was is they combined it with fennel and chamomile and and they gave it to colicky babies and it reduced the crying time by half. So they felt that it was useful that way. So what do you think about lemon balm? It is such a wonderful herb to plant in your garden. So many interesting historical uses and folklore around uh, lemon balm. I hope that you learned some new things and that this, it showed you some uh, new, new aspects of this herb. So join me next week for our next herb in our herb garden series. Enjoy and God bless. And don't forget to find me on Facebook at Julie Naturally and on Instagram at Julie.Naturally. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for listening to my podcast. Show notes for today's broadcast can be found at CrunchyChristianPodcast.com. Hit the subscribe button now so you can join me next week. Until then, remember all you need is God, people, and growing things. God bless. God bless.